6: Call Buck Toll Free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton.
7: Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Thank you very much for being here. an honor and a privilege to have you joining me for a discussion of everything that's going on today in the country. As we know, we are a nation in mourning right now, and it has been a very tough 24 hours for the country, um, a tragic and heartbreaking 24 hours for um, a number of uh, families and uh, many dozens, hundreds of of individuals at the school where the shooting occurred. We have more information on that, and now we also have the familiar series of arguments and discussions about what to do, um, what to do about this, and... Uh, The country is in a bit of a shock right now, understandably so. Uh, The brutality of the assault, the evil of the intent as well as the execution of this plot is uh, beyond the imagination of any normal, healthy human being. Uh, It was as grotesque, as vile, and as wrong as it can possibly be and now we all want to know how do we stop it and also to the degree we can try to understand why it happened or, or how it happened so here's just some some updates from where we were yesterday in case you missed it and I, I, I know a lot of you are probably in a place right now where you feel like this is it's just everywhere it's echoing off of every tv screen every radio station every newspaper and website this is it is everywhere and so i will um promise you that we will, uh, I'll try to add thoughts into this that I think are unlikely that you will have already heard anywhere else. I try to do that every day on the show, but on this topic in particular. And also just avoid the, the shouting and the, the outrage fest and the, uh, the demonstrations of piety at the expense of people with whom we may disagree politically. I'll, I'll leave that to the left. And uh to the Democrats and media it's uh it's very uh, discouraging that this happens this happens each time. And you know there's a part of me that wants to work through their arguments, and I, I will do that, but i I'll try not to be snide and nasty about it because there's something that should be something that should bring us together about all of this. The recognition that life is precious and that it is fleeting, that there is suffering in the world and there is great evil, including here at home in this country, in this uh, wonderful and amazing place that we call home. There's still plenty of evil to go around, and it was unfortunately on display in Florida yesterday. Um, So here's what I wanted to focus on. There are two main avenues of discussion. That come up after this one is on gun control specifically and one is on mental health. That's usually where the focus goes. Let me just say right up front, I don't believe that this is something government can solve. And I think that that's not what people necessarily want to hear. And I understand that we want to believe that there is an answer. I think there are many different possible. Helpful approaches. I don't think there is an answer. And I don't think that the government can provide one. And I think that by trying to come up with a solution that would prevent all of this in the future, there actually could be a tremendous amount of harms done by the destruction of individual liberty and rights and increasing of the surveillance state and the politicization of uh, First Amendment policing. There's a lot of other stuff that gets brought into this uh, very quickly. I don't think the government can solve this, and I am i think the government takes pretty good precautions as these things go, um, but I don't think this is possible to solve entirely. I think this is up to us. It's up to us as a society. It's up to us as individuals um, in our communities, in our towns and cities to be vigilant and to do what we can each and every day in our lives to both protect those who matter to us, uh, try to provide help for those who are in distress, and when necessary, take action to eliminate the threat that is around us. Law enforcement in this country is robust and ethical and talented and very effective by asking that we would stop all school, school shootings. It's asking law enforcement, in a sense, to, to do the impossible. It's not, it's not something that they could do. And all you have to do, and I will probably draw this comparison a few times over the course of our conversations here on the show, is a look at the differences between law enforcement in America and law enforcement to the south of our border. And it gives you a renewed appreciation for just what is so different. Why, why is it that we know we can trust our police? and trust our cops, and trust our uh, federal law enforcement officers, you know, 99.9 times out of 100. It's not true in other countries. Why is it that we know they'll run, into the, they'll run into dangerous situations? They'll run into active shooter situations. They'll put their lives on the line. They'll shield civilians. They'll do what they can to protect us all the time. It's because of the culture of law enforcement in this country and the proud tradition that they have. But they're not perfect. They can't be everywhere at all times. And so when you start to get into government solutions that involve law enforcement, I just don't see how that is really possible. We have uh, incredibly effective police overall. I mean, the fact we're a country of 320 million people and day in and day out, we're as safe and secure as we actually are. Something that I believe we understand just by nature of the way it is. We we take it for granted, but. It is, borrow from a much-used phrase, because rough men stand ready at night to do violence on our behalf. That's how we can sleep well. Law enforcement can't always solve our problems for us, and I don't think they can solve this one. I'm not sure there is a solution. I keep saying that. I know that's frustrating. I know people probably don't want to hear that. It would be a lot easier to um, advocate for one thing, one panacea, one cure-all, and just tell people that that's the answer. I don't think that's true though. Now, am I am I in favor of and w- wanting to explore uh, more armed security at schools, especially schools that have a high threat profile? Absolutely. Do I think that concealed carry is something that should be considered for teachers, administrators and uh, and other adult faculty at schools, high schools, grammar schools, you name it, across the country that want to do it sure. But I also recognize that even that would not be enough. To stop all shootings, and we're talking about actually a very small number of shootings. And yes, percentage-wise, um, this is not something that's occurring with the frequency that the media is telling us that it is. You will note, and uh, we'll be getting into much of the debates and arguments here. And I've been thinking about this all day and been back and forth on on Fox and trying to trying to add context and insight to it. You know, which I'll tell you all, it also feels. Sometimes it feels a little bit uh, not not hopeless, but you just feel helpless. Like, you want to be able to put messages out there uh, that are positive, that are inspiring, that are that will build something better for all of us in the future. But I, I see this, and it reminds me a lot of the discussions that come up after major terrorist incidents. You know, we'll take precautions. There are discussions to be had about those precautions, but it's not going to go away, and we shouldn't delude ourselves in the thinking that we could make it go away entirely. It requires constant vigilance and from, from all of us. From all of us. Um, this is not something, as I said, the government can solve. I also think this is something that uh, brings into question some of the slogans that we often hear in these incidents. A lot of people, and they're well-intentioned, and they're trying to, be helpful and I get that. I'm not one of these people that's going to you know I tried to stay off Twitter to be honest with you after these things because it's not about it's not about verbally, you know, smacking around some dumb left. This is about a this is about a horrific tragedy, a mass murder of young people lost their lives. We should really be focused on the problem and not focused on throwing digital spitballs at each other trying to score points over a political argument that isn't even really focused on the problem in any meaningful way. But the see something, say something mantra, something I'm quite familiar with, it's written on, literally on subway cars here in New York City. You you hear it all the time. That doesn't really help us much here, does it, folks? The background of this individual, Nicholas Cruz, uh, is in every way exactly what we would expect from a school shooter. He was known by his peers and by faculty as a problem, violent. You'll probably recall yesterday, without this being released, I said, you know, it's likely that somebody, the moment you know that they're being violent and taking pleasure in violence towards animals, you have a big problem on your hands. Sure enough, Nicholas Cruz liked to uh, mutilate animals, take videos of it, talk about it. Very bad sign. Um, And in every way he fits the profile but there are a lot of kids who fit the profile who don't actually end up going on a mass shooting spree but people did say something they saw something and they said something so this is why i think a lot of us are so unsettled because this is not some kid who just snapped out of nowhere in a sense that would have that might even be easier for us to process there was something in you know some biochemical process in his brain that malfunctioned and just out of nowhere, you know, he he just he just turned on humanity. You know, he was seized by the devil. However, however we want to put it out of nowhere, we can think, okay, well, things happen and this is a tragedy. But with this. I think it's very troubling to know that there are so many red flags that were seen that were noted. And that people said, hey, hold on a second. I see a red flag here. I see it. It's waving. It's red. It's bright. It's in front of my face. Hey, can we do something about this? Let's do something about this. This is before the shooting, folks. A lot of people walking around saying, hey, we need to do something about this kid. It's a problem. His peers said that they thought that he might engage in exactly this kind of activity. They were joking about it, of course. In retrospect, just horrifying to think about how this was a this was missed this opportunity to stop this whole event. He was seeing therapy or seeing a therapist. He was getting counseling. He was kicked out of school. They knew he couldn't come back with a backpack. And then perhaps for many of you, I think most troubling of all, there's the question. Did the FBI drop the ball here? Yes, there was a comment posted on YouTube that he wanted to be a prof in his own name. Not even, you know, under some pseudonym that would be tr- tougher to track down. Nicholas Cruz, the FBI saying, well, they, they couldn't find him, but they went and they asked the person who reported it. By the way, not exactly encouraging the see something, say something mantra, with that one. You report the comment, the FBI shows up and you know, only talks to you. They never find the guy who posted it, though. Let me tell you, folks, if the FBI wants to find something like this, they can. So there was a there was an issue here maybe they get too many of these threats maybe they can't take them all uh, they can't track them all down but then we have to ask the question well how do we establish parameters when we have to take this seriously because it wasn't just the youtube posting if they had showed up at nicholas cruz's house and they found out that he was a straight a student with a loving family and you know supportive parents and and siblings and had a you know had a great girlfriend and a great life and just got a little drunk one night and wanted to be provocative You know, yeah, the FBI could probably say that comment, all right, you know, don't ever do that again or else. Right. But but in this case, if the FBI had showed up, they would see, oh, my gosh, this is a real problem. This kid's got an obsession with weapons, with violence, violence against animals. He's a loner. He feels bullied. He feels like he has rage against the world. So that first tip off about the YouTube comment can't be seen in a vacuum. That had to be the first step in an investigation that would lead law enforcement, in this case, the FBI, to say, hold on a second. got a real problem here. Could that have stopped this whole thing from happening? Maybe. We'll never know. But I do know that people saw things and they said things. The authorities knew. Administrators knew. His peers knew. And no one could stop it somehow. We'll talk about school security. We'll talk about exit plans. We'll discuss gun control. We'll discuss um, mental health issues and all of that coming up here. But I just want us all to be quite clear. seems to me that there is at least a very real possibility that the FBI dropped the ball on this one. I understand how hard it is. Look, there, well, there are, you sh- the, the amount of tips that we used to get in the counterterrorism wing of the NYPD, it's just, you know, people say things all the time and do we track it down and You just don't know. And then you're hearing people informants and they want to get paid and they're telling people things and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, it's it's not perfect. It's not a perfect system. When I say drop the ball, I mean, yeah, you know what? The best receivers in the NFL, they drop passes. That happens. I'm not saying it to beat up on anyone, but we have to look at where in the system the failures occurred because there was a systemic failure here. There were red flags and they were called out and it didn't matter. We'll get into this more right after the break. Uh, stay with me. There are two very important falsehoods that I want to address that got a lot of uh, a lot of attention right after, it, in the minutes and, and hours after the shooting in Florida yesterday. The first is that there are 18 school shootings so far this year. That's just, that's just not true. Um, it is a statistic that was put out there by every town for Gun Safety, which is a nonprofit that Michael Bloomberg, who is an anti-Second Amendment zealot, uh, founded. And the way that it puts together its tally is that if anyone shoots a gun on school property anywhere, that is a school shooting. So included in that 18 was a former school administrator who parked his car in the parking lot of a closed down school with no students anywhere who committed suicide. Now, that's a very sad story, but it's not a school shooting. And it's certainly not a school shooting in the context of we need to change national policy and let's create larger numbers to do so. You see, that's why you know you're dealing with zealots here. You're dealing with people who believe that they are on some kind of crusade, though I'm sure they would not like the term, a crusade against the Second Amendment. And so even stacking the deck, changing the numbers, is acceptable in that context. But it's not. We should know what we are dealing with here. The most troubling statistic that is real, that is accurate, is that the largest mass shootings in schools. Uh, A number of them have clustered in the last few years. Um, But you're talking about what are still statistically aberrant events, meaning they're way out of the norm. You have over 100,000 schools in this country. You have millions and millions of elementary and high school age students. This is a rare event, a very rare event. One is too many, but there should also not be a Hysteria created by the media that somehow this is so different from what we have seen in the past. Uh, so the 18 number is just uh, flatly false. And I wish that every town would understand as an organization that it does tremendous uh, disservice to its cause, whether you agree with gun control or not. And I know I'm sure a vast majority of you listening agree with me that gun control First of all, there's already a lot of gun control. There are already a lot of gun laws in place. There are there are background checks in place. They speak about this as... the. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but... Uh, the 18 school shootings is false, and it was repeated everywhere, and I believe I said it on the show as well because I saw it in mainstream news sources like CNN, The New York Times, and others were running with it, and I trusted them to be able to count. And I was wrong with that. Many of us were wrong. You think that the facts, the numbers would matter, at least, because if they're going to have credibility to have leftist propaganda and an anti-gun agenda, they've at least got to get the numbers right. Well, no, actually, they were they were playing with the numbers and they were being dishonest. So it was not 18. And that is a lie. Uh, When we come back, I want to address another lie and then we'll get into mental health and the gun control debate that's out there right now. But the other lie is that this never happens anywhere else. This only happens here. That's just false.
6: He's holding the line for America. Buck
8: Sexton is back. What are we going to do to stop the school shootings? They don't even ask that question, and that goes all the way to the top. The president has that hashtag MAGA, right? Make America great again. How can you not include this issue in part of that agenda? He's supposed to be a change agent, right? We are the scourge of the world when it comes to these. Nobody is worse than we are.
3: In math and sciences, if you look at our countries around the world, our kids are not educated, and yet we say we're exceptional. If you look at health statistics, whether a kid is going to be healthy, infant mortality, we are mediocre. Life expectancy, we are mediocre, but we can't compare ourselves to other countries because we say we're exceptional. The reason I raise that is that in this case, we are going to say we're an exceptional country. If you look at other peer countries in places like Japan or Western Europe, they do not have the incidence of violence against children that we have in this country.
7: For that it was a uh, first CNN anchor, uh, Chris Cuomo. America is a scourge of the world with this. And then CNN's premier now national security analyst, uh, Phil Mudd, who is wrong and is just telling you things that are factually inaccurate on national TV. I don't say this with uh, disdain for Phil. I, I don't know him. I've met him, but I don't really care. I just care that he's wrong, and no one else seems to care about that over at that network. Demonstrably false with a Google search, and not in a little way. Not this is. I'm not nitpicking. I'm not saying oh, but this is one of the other big lies. One lie: the 18 school shootings. And this, by the way, ABC was running with this. Uh, you know the. the The Daily News was running with this. The New York Times was running. So that's how it got out. All the big news outlets were running with the 18 number from from effectively the most anti-gun organization in the country. So they were just running with an agenda. And it was fake news. The notion of 18, that's a lie. That's false. That's that's fake news. Um, But then you get into this other lie that this doesn't happen anywhere else. And I had uh, producer Mike do some, some deep dive research on this today. And just in the last couple of decades, you have had, for example, I, I knew that you had one in Scotland. I believe I mentioned that on air yesterday, um, also in Germany. but And I mentioned the Beslan school siege. So in the Beslan school siege, you had 334 killed. And people would say that that was terrorism, but it was terrorism directed at a school. It was a school shooting. And uh, one of the most horrific, uh, I, I would tell you to, Watch the documentaries on the Beslan school massacre, um, but it will ruin your day. And it might, I, and I mean this, it might actually give you nightmares. It's, it's beyond uh, comprehension. Jihadists, by the way, uh, jihadists who were, I won't even go into the description. We've been through enough for the last 24 hours. Um, there was also a, uh, the Winnenden school shooting, uh, 15 killed in Germany. That was 2009 Rio de Janeiro school shooting in 2011, 12 killed. Uh, you go down the list, th- this is happening all over the world. Uh, this is happening all over the world. In Latvia in 1999, in France in 2012, in Sweden in 2015, in Poland. Well, Poland was way back in the day. Pardon me for including that one. I'm trying to look at the list. We've got this goes all the way back, um, but this, this doesn't just happen. Germany, 2002, uh, a bunch of them have happened in China. There was the one in Scotland. I mean, this, this, this happens, folks. This happens. It's terrible, and we should do everything we can to stop them. But the notion, uh, there was a, in Belgium, it was a nursery school. I mean, God. The notion that this is only an American phenomenon is, is not true. Now, you could say that it happens more here and we can look at why that might be, and what the specifics are as a portion of, or what the numbers are as a portion of population. How much more it happens here than it happens in other similarly situated countries. Um, but I don't want to be starting our discussions. I refuse to start our discussions with false information. It does happen in other countries. It has happened in recent years, including in Western Europe and countries that are very advanced and developed and and well off. Uh, I wasn't even including, you know. Azerbaijan and you know Niger and you know there's it's happening all over the world. Um, school shootings, but they say that it's that, and then they say it's eighteen this year to create a, a frenzy in the media, um, and they do this for a purpose, and the purpose is is explicitly political. They want gun control, and I remember this is just like what happened after the uh, the Newtown massacre in Connecticut. There was a lot of uh, a lot of really vicious invective directed at the NRA, at law-abiding gun owners, at conservatives, at anyone who did not want to immediately go along with this plan. And we see what the media thinks should be done here, so we should, we should address this. Uh, we see the media says that gun control is necessary.
3: It's absolutely not too soon to yet again say that something has to be done about access to guns in this country. This country seems to have the sick preoccupation uh, with guns, and it manifests itself into these really
9: terrible mass shootings.
4: Uh, We are the only nation that has this kind of violence and presumably gun violence, obviously, uh, in particular, focused on our children.
1: Is there anything Florida could possibly do to make it any easier for a mass murderer to get an AR-15
8: we are the scourge of the world nobody is worse than we are
7: a lot of uh, a lot of dumping on America they're dumping on Florida specifically as a state this individual passed a background check he legally bought his AR-15 there was nothing under the law in his background that would have been flagged in the, in, in the background check. And so he was able to, he was able to get it. Uh, he was able to get this weapon legally. And then you have people saying things like, well, he it couldn't be made any easier for him. And that's also not true. You have this lie. It, it turns into a meme that it's easier to buy a gun than it is to vote. Um, uh, That's also just a lie. It's just false. It's it's not debatable. It's just not true. And so looking now at what they're saying we should do, it's not even clear to me they know other than just gun control. It is said um, it is said so that people on the left, the Democrat Party, the media is able to morally blackmail the other side. That's the purpose. That's the plan. They need gun control because if you're not in favor of gun control, you are in favor of continued school shootings. That's the implication. You don't care about this. We will get nowhere in this discussion as a country, as a nation. There's nowhere for us to go with this. If one half of the country, roughly speaking, takes the position that the other half is not willing to adjust or make any good faith arguments because they're just not really that opposed to school shootings that creeps up a lot you'll see that and they'll say oh if you support the nra you have blood on your hands no the only person responsible for this shooting is the shooter and if we're going to talk sensibly about security measures and you know uh, other things that maybe could have done something although as i would note you know, if you, even if you had armed security personnel, we'll, we'll return to that later on in the show, too. I'm, I'm holding that for now. But even if you had armed security personnel, they'd have to be on the scene, right there, and think about how many... I mean, a lot of you are familiar. I know a lot of you own AR-15s. I've certainly fired a lot of AR, AR variants, and all you know, M4s, all kinds of stuff. And you know the the ability to inflict lethal... Uh, lethal damage with a rifle or pistol of any kind is, is a matter of seconds. And if you have a whole bunch of people together you, and you have somebody who's been planning for weeks, maybe months in this case, it's just not realistic to think that security a security measure alone will just stop this. doesn't mean you can't try. Security measures are often about the percentages, right? It's about what, making it harder. Classic counterterrorism posture. you got to do everything you can to mess the terrorists up it's not going to be perfect, but you do everything you can. Uh, but on the gun control side of it, this is—I don't, I don't even know how much time I really need to spend on the specifics of it with you. on Because I know you already understand the, the, the truth of this matter, which is that AR-15s uh, are just a semi-automatic rifle with some cosmetic similarities to fully automatic weapons that are carried by the U.S. military, like the M4. But it's just a semi-automatic rifle. And there are things that are just as deadly as an AR 15 that don't look like an AR 15 that fall in the category of a rifle, as you all know. There are also millions of law abiding, patriotic AR 15 owners, many of them listening to this show, but they live across the country and they make the neighborhoods they're in safer by having their AR 15s. And then there's the whole why do we have the Second Amendment? That's right, because to. Uh, tyrannize and suppress and enslave an armed population is a lot harder. That's not a discussion that we're really having all that much right now about all this. So you already have millions in circulation. You can't eliminate the function of a semi-automatic rifle without eliminating all of them, right? If you say that an AR, because of the speed with which it fires or the caliber that it fires, has to be banned, you're going to have to ban a whole list of weapons. There are already millions of them in circulation. They already banned assault weapons at the national level, and in fact gun violence during that period went up back in the clinton era and gun, rifles overall are a small percentage of gun violence across the country i think it's less than 1% it might be less than 3% but it's very small so what would it what would an ar15 ban do the virginia tech shooter who killed 32 people he had two handguns Nidal Hassan at Fort Hood. Two handguns. Uh, handguns with a fifteen magazine capacity. Ten re- doesn't it, whatever the capacity is. You've got a couple of handguns, even one handgun. You'll have a school shooting, well, you'll we, the, the casualties could be very similar to what we saw on this last one. It, it's just going after the weapon is really going after a tool in this case. There are and it's not like we're operating in a vacuum where there are no gun restrictions, right? I'm not saying that kids should be able to go around and buy RPGs. You can't. I'm not saying that kids should be able to go around and buy fully automatic weapons. You can't. And when I say kids, pardon me, this is an adult, too. People keep referring to him as a teenager, uh, as an attempt to kind of inflame the debate and say, oh, he's just, how could a teenager, how could a teenager go in and buy an AR-15? I was, you know, I'd watch that how could a teenager stuff. You know, you tell a 19-year-old Marine that, you know, you're not sure he's allowed to have his weapon and it's going to be a rough day for you. Um, and I saw 19-year-old men in uniform for this country in war zones, doing stuff that was incredible at any age, right? So the 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 age game that the media plays is is very tiresome. Uh, very very tiresome. All right, we've got there's a lot more here. I I, I want the mental health part of this actually. I think I'll have perhaps the most to say about just because that's uh, that's disconcerting the way that that gets thrown into all this. Is oh that's simple? Oh yeah, let's just stop crazy from buying guns. Uh, what qualifies as crazy? Who determines that? How long are you banned from getting your guns? If it's not a legal judicial proceeding, which it currently requires, what is it? Does it apply to people with PTSD? Does it apply to veterans? Do their Second Amendment rights just get taken away from them because they sought counseling when they came back? I know some places in the government where you come back from a war zone, counseling is mandated. So now if you serve your country in a war zone and you've had mandated counseling just to make sure you're cool when you come back, just make sure everything's okay, no more guns for you, no more Second Amendment, much more complicated and uh, much riskier proposition than it sounds when people go on TV. We need to address the mental health issue. This is a societal, a cultural, a nationwide issue for all of us to deal with. If if we think the government's going to solve this, we will be sorely disappointed. Um, By the way, I would very much like to hear, I know we've had some callers patiently waiting to get on here. I'd like to hear from from you if you think there's a solution, if you think that uh, there's something we're missing here, either in a discussion of this or some part of it that requires more analysis, uh, more more of our time. Let me know. 844-900-2825. 844-900 buck lines are uh, wide open. And uh, we come back, we'll talk more about this. Coming up, also the mental health issue. That will be a focus of ours, uh, so stay with me.
10: There have been 18 school shootings elsewhere in the world over the last two decades. In our country alone, there have been 18 school shootings in the last 35 days.
7: Uh, There's Brian Williams on NBC. He's wrong, but nonetheless, you have it. Uh, There have been 42 school shootings elsewhere in the world over the last two decades. There have not been 18 in the United States so far this year, so... He's just wrong. But as you can see, there was a it was almost like a propaganda effort. It was just a lot of. A lot of, if not intentionally wrong, then so sloppy, they should be called out for it. Um, all right. We've got a lot of lines lit. I want to I want to get I want to hear from all of you, uh, Steve in New York. Uh, welcome, Steve. Good to have you. Hi, Buck. Thank you for taking my call Um I don't know that I have a solution, but
3: I guess rather something that I'd I'd like to get your opinion on. Sure. Uh, For one, I I agree with you about uh, everything you've been saying with the mental health problem and so on. Um, Do you think that that perhaps uh, an increase of police departments that serve school districts and school districts specifically, whereas they're not answering any other calls for service other than school districts, um, do you you think that may help uh, deter or or stop incidents like this in the future?
7: I think it, you know, I think it, Could theoretically, uh, but let's just let's play this out in our heads for a moment here. If someone you know, this guy's 19 years old. Right. So he's not a little kid. He's a he's a grown man. If a if a 19 year old, you know, who has access to weapons decides that he is going to ambush a bunch of kids in school. What what are we really going to do? I mean, you know, think about the procedures you'd have to have in place to prevent him from doing that. Right, and how? What would the police response even be? I mean, once this guy pulls the gun out of the bag and starts shooting, he's likely going to hit people, and now you're hoping to have a response time that is—I don't know—within within seconds to stop him from killing multiple people. I mean, it's just not. I'm I, I Steve. I mean, am I am I missing something? I mean. Here, okay, here's what doctor, I would say. Is there a world, in, or not a world, is there a situation in which a, an on-campus officer, look, they had a, one armed officer there, right? Is there a situation where the armed officer or an armed civilian, which we know has happened in schools, stops it? Absolutely. But we just also shouldn't, I think, go to a place where we, where we believe if we just put enough officers in enough schools, we will stop the, we're talking about a handful of incidents here. I think it's actually sure. the real number this year is like five or six, so, right. and there's you're talking about over a hundred thousand schools you know you see what i'm you right. see what I'm getting at?
3: oh it's, it would certainly certainly be a lot of a lot of departments. I guess my only thought would be if the you know deterrent if the turn, if a kid was planning a, an incident like that um and and was looking at his school and he sees that you know there's there's a multitude of, of police officers that are constantly walking around and that's that's there's a, it's a visible presence. Uh, I guess would mean. Steve, you know, it's, it's the not turn. your I, your
7: idea is work, is as good, if not better, than any other idea I've heard. I'm just saying, okay, let's let's explore it. And and like I said, I don't have the answer, my man. You know, and I, it's just, right, right, It's just frustrating. But I look, I hear you, and I think that there's a real possibility the Trump administration is going to try to push for more teacher, you know, more armed teachers, and and it's certainly not going to hurt, you know, that. But that I will say. And if it stops one of these shootings, what is that worth? So it's it's a fair point to make, Stephen. Thank you and Shields High. Appreciate you calling in. Hey everybody, I know we've only gotten into one call here, um, and I, I want to address the mental health issue. But if you are on hold, if you can stay with me uh, for a little bit longer in the next hour, we'll get to we'll, we'll rack and stack, get to a lot of your calls. I want to hear from you. So please stay on hold. We'll get to you, and uh, as calls come in, we'll take more. So uh, take that number. We'll be back in a few.
6: He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops.
1: Speak now directly to America's children, especially those who feel lost, alone, confused, or even scared. I want you to know that you are never alone and you never will be. You have people who care about you, who love you. And who will do anything at all to protect you. If you need help, turn to a teacher, a family member, a local police officer, or a faith leader. Answer hate with love. Answer cruelty with kindness.
7: I think the president's message there is uh, exactly what the country needs to hear right now. Welcome back to uh, the Buck Sexton Show. Everyone, thanks for... uh, staying with me here we're going to continue our discussion of the uh, aftermath of the terrible school shooting in florida and where where we go from here Um, what happens now i was discussing with you gun control in the last last hour there's in in, at some level it's not even worth spending much more time on because there's not even a gun control measure that it seems the left can agree on them the notion of banning assault rifles to stop uh, to stop school violence. We, we all know that handguns are actually a much more much more prevalent uh, tool for those who wish to be violent and engage in shootings, and there have been mass school shootings that only involve handguns. So that will not stop. And if you make it harder to get an AR-15, you will just then increase the desire for some to get handguns. Or, as many of you will point out, people will rent a truck and, you know, Drive it into a concentration of students uh, out on the street or will, I mean, there's any number, build a bomb. There's any number of things um, that psychopaths can do when they want to kill people. Um, and the idea that we can just ban one type of firearm to stop them, I, I just think it's, there's no merit really to it. And history and statistics back me up on that one. Then we get into the mental health component of this. Uh, and the president spoke about that as well.
1: We are committed to working with state and local leaders to help secure our schools and tackle the difficult issue of mental health. Later this month, I will be meeting with the nation's governors and attorney generals. Where making our schools and our children safer will be our top priority. It is not enough to simply take actions that make us feel like we are making a difference. We must actually make
7: that difference. I hope the president is able to to, uh, to follow through on that, that we will make a difference. I don't know how, but I, I hope that, that he is correct. Uh, mental health is an incredibly complicated area. Just as a subject, never mind when you add into it, legal ramifications of different decisions and also then how that impacts the ability of different individuals to get firearms. Um, first, let's just start with it. It is distressing to anyone who has any familiarity with somebody who has, who has uh, mental health concerns or, or problems. This idea that, well, we have to stop people from mental health pro- with mental health problems from getting guns is like saying, you know, we can't be in the same room as somebody who has a cold Because uh, or, you know, who has ever had a cold because you can technically get a cold. You can get pneumonia from a cold and die. That's how unfair it is to just think of this as mental health in a very broad way. Tens of millions of Americans have mental health problems. And now that sounds like, oh, well, what do you say? It means anxiety, uh, low levels of obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, low levels of depression, all the way up to you know severe depression, manic depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. You know, very rare, but multiple personality disorder. It's actually very rare. You see it in movies and in TV, but it's very, very unusual. Um, but there are all these different. And you know, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but I've just I'm a guy who reads a lot. And these are all different. And post-traumatic stress disorder, which we generally think of when we talk about those who have served in war zones in the military. But it also affects people who have been through a traumatic incident like the school shooting. It, it affects people who have been through a, a terrible accident. You know, people go through, um, you know, there's postpartum depression. There's uh, the depression, uh, depressive manifestations that happen after a loss in the family for some people, right? These are all, those are all mental health issues, folks, as you know. Sometimes it's enough just to be around loved ones. Sometimes it's enough to spend a little more time at church or with those who support you. Maybe you see a therapist, cognitive therapy. That just means you're talking through the problem. Some people need to take something. You know, They take a selective ser- uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, an SSRI or an SNRI. Um, and there's a whole bunch. Of, these are th- Prozac and Zoloft and all these different drugs that people take. And those are, for a lot of people, life-altering and life-changing drugs in a good way. Are we going to ban people from... Owning firearms, who fall into any of those categories, I just are we really going to tell returning veterans that you're not allowed to own a firearm. Your Second Amendment rights are or are, are taken away from you because you saw sought counseling after you saw terrible things, you know, in in Fallujah or in Helmand Province. Or no, of course not. Right, we, we're not going to do that. But you start to see where this goes, and it's it's troubling when there's this intentional emotionalizing of the moment by. Uh, advocates for gun control, that they're willing to, I think, be dishonest about the real implications of even their calls for uh, mental health reform. Now, I know that the uh, the sheriff, for example, down in Broward County, is you know, he's got a lot of stress. He's doing a lot of stuff. He, he talked about this issue, and I would just note that you know his job is actually to deal with the situation. I'm sure he's been doing a very good job with law enforcement, and I'm not in any way, impugning his response or what the what the sheriff and, and his team have, have been doing. However, the moment he crosses over into policy recommendation, well, then I do have a I do have a response to it. I do have a voice that I think needs to be raised here. And uh, he mentioned specifically uh, mental health. Here's what Sheriff Scott Israel, he's been on TV a lot because he's the sheriff of Broward County, had to say about this.
4: Certainly, more money should go to mental health. Uh, I've said this time and time again. Or, you know, with the tyranny of. We go to an orthopedic surgeon. If we have mental health issues, we need to be treated. But while people who are the victim of mental health illnesses in this country are being treated, in the opinion of this sheriff, they should not be able to buy, surround themselves, purchase, or carry a handgun. Those two things don't mix.
7: So there you have a sheriff saying, if you if you're being treated, if you're being treated, you should be able to have a gun. Um, I respectfully think the sheriff is either speaking, you know, he's getting a little beyond what he intends, which is possible, or he doesn't know much about mental health treatment in the country, which, again, is not his job, right? He's not he's not the chief psychiatrist of Broward County, so I'm not trying to put the man down at all. I know he's got a tough job and he's doing a good one. But if we're going to talk about the policy ramifications, let's understand that to say that if you have a mental health issue, you can't own a firearm, uh, that is going to include just that statement would inherently include millions and millions of Americans, including uh, probably, I mean, I have to look at the exact number. PTSD, I think, affects roughly 25 to 30 percent of returning veterans from the war zones. That's the estimate. And that's what's reported. But so you're talking about at least hundreds of thousands of veterans with PTSD. No, you know, we're going to we're going to what we're going to confiscate their, their firearms, confiscate their guns. I mean, if I asked a question right now, if I could gather all of you team from all across the country, we could all be in one place, and I said, "How many of you would feel safer knowing you have a veteran of the U.S. armed For- or U.S. armed forces from Iraq or Afghanistan living on your block, and and he's a he's a lawful firearm owner?" I know every single hand would go up. And you're like, "Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I like that idea." So, okay, so now we're establishing how this can, you know, how if you don't, if you're not careful with the policy, it can go in the wrong direction. I would note that with very Little uh, in the way of media coverage of it when it happened after Newtown, Barack Obama, through executive order, signed a bill. I'm sorry, signed an didn't sign a bill. Signed an executive order, the purpose of which was to use the Social Security Administration uh, to limit whether people could have guns who happen to be uh, using somebody as their. Essentially in charge of their finances. So, if you were on Social Security and you were listed as having a Social Security um, a person, essentially, power of attorney via Social Security, I'm forgetting the specific terminology of it, you would be um, deprived of your Second Amendment rights. Because if you need somebody else to help manage your finances, this obviously was primarily targeting older people, retirees. And look, I mean, finances, you know, I got to pay someone to do my taxes, and financial stuff is complicated. So if you have a family member who's helping manage your books now and you're a social security recipient, no gu- no guns allowed. That's reported. That's now a prohibition for firearms ownership. Think about that. So you've got like a let's say when this was signed, you've got a, you know, a Vietnam vet who's whose son or daughter is helping him, you know, manages his, his checkbook and manages his social security. The Social Security Administration's not going to report to the FBI and you can't have a firearm. They think the Obama administration really thought that was 75,000 people were, were affected by this. You really think that's a Social Security trustee, I believe, is what the term is. That's helpful. We're really worried about a lot of uh, a lot of retirees who who happen to you know legally own firearms, who have somebody helping them balance the books and, and pay for, you know, pay for their bills. They're a threat. Think about that for a moment. That was the that was the Obama administration. They did that. And not only did they do that, yesterday you had people who were sharing about, as a means of trying to attack the Trump administration, they were tweeting out stories, Ezra Klein from Vox, these other left-wingers who are just wildly ignorant on guns. They don't know anything about guns. They don't know anything about how they operate. They don't know anything really about gun laws. They, don't even, they just have cooked books, fake the statistics, and you know, stand on the graves of those killed in gun violence as a means of trying to morally blackmail the other side don't really engage in the debate. They don't know enough to engage in the debate. But they were sharing that the GOP made it easier for, quote, mentally ill people to get guns because of Trump. Trump made it easier for mentally ill people to get guns. Yeah, retirees who have people helping them via the Social Security Administration that have trustees helping them with their their bills and their checks. You know, this is what we're up against. This is the truth of how the other side plays the game. Oh, we just want to stop the worst of the worst from getting guns. So let's use mental health to do it. Let's put 75,000 retirees who are getting Social Security on a list and take away their guns. That was the Obama administration's response, folks, after the Newtown massacre. And and then they lie about it now. Now the media says, oh, well, they're making it easy for the mentally ill to get guns. Like I said, mental illness is a very broad category, and they will use it where it fits their agenda. They will expand it. They will... uh, Muddy up the waters, make it hard for us to know what's really going on. Can't trust the gun grabbers. Because as I've told you, you always have to remember, it is not about stopping violence. It is about showing their antipathy for gun owners, and it is about political power. That is what the gun control movement is first and foremost devoted to. It is about power. Their plans, their ideas, their policies that they put forward will not work, have not worked, and they are dishonest about it. We'll have more mental health. I know we've I apologize for going on at length here. We have literally every line lit. I know a lot of you are trying to get in as well. You know what? Let me uh, when we come back after the break, we'll we'll take some calls because I want to hear from all of you. And We'll continue the mental health conversation. Third hour, if you uh, if you all are all right with it. um, I'm going to get into just some other topics from today because I think that three full hours of nothing. But this discussion is a bit much for us and for a lot of you are listening to the show later on the evening. So we'll move on to immigration. Uh, we'll get into some roll call. You know, we'll, we'll change it up a bit. We'll also be joined by our friend uh, Jonathan Gillum, former Navy SEAL. I, I did want to let him weigh in here, and so he'll be joining us in the third hour. So we've got all that coming, and uh, we'll be right back.
4: What I'm asking our lawmakers to do is go back to places like Tallahassee, places like Washington, D.C., and give police the power if they see something on social media, if they see graphic pictures of rifles and blood and gore and guns and bombs, if they see something, horrific language, if they see a person talking about, I want to grow up to be a serial killer. We need to have the power to take that person and bring them before mental health professionals at that particular time involuntarily and have them examined. People are going to be rightfully so concerned about their rights, as am I. But what about the rights of these students? What about the rights of young kids who go to schools with book bags and pencils? Don't they have the right to be protected by the United States government to the best of our ability?
7: There you have the sheriff of Broward County, Sheriff Israel, who I think is Absolutely. His heart's in the right place. Uh, I think he's wrong on policy. Imagine what this will lead to, folks. Think of all the antipathy there already is, the hatred there is for people who own guns, support gun ownership. Uh, You you would be able to report to the police that someone has posted just photos of guns. And then it could be dragged in front of a mental health professional. Think about what what that would do. Now look, I understand the sheriff is is in a tough spot here, but he's advocating for policy that I don't think he fully understands the full ramifications of the national level. And we're all in a very emotional moment right now. I understand that. But that would be abused so quickly and in such widespread fashion. And you're going to force people to stand in front of a mental health professional who's going to adjudicate what, that they're just not allowed to own guns? That they are... Mentally defective? What do you, what is, what's this going to go to? They already have a process for that. And the bar is high. And you know what? The bar should be high. At some point, my friends, and no one really wants to say this, but I know a lot of you feel it and know it. At some point, part of the price of a free society is that evil cannot be entirely stamped out. We do a lot of it. Law enforcement does a lot of it. We, as citizens, do our best. As parents and teachers and neighbors and doctors and, you know, we're all working together to do the best we can day in and day out. But it's not going to be perfect. There are evil people in this country just like there are anywhere. I mentioned before, I said Mexico, you know, just not to pick on any one particular country, but it comes to mind again because it's right next door. Acapulco now is is one of the most dangerous cities in the world. It used to be a beautiful resort. Horrific violence, bodies dangling from bridges, people lopping heads off sending videos of torture to the families of those being tortured, sometimes live-streaming it real time while they execute them. The military has to take uh, fortified positions on the beach just to allow folks the ability to go to the beach and not worry about being kidnapped or shot. So other places got a lot of problems, a lot bigger than ours. And I'm not talking about, you know, the other side of the planet either. So we need to keep some perspective here. All right, I know, I said calls. Let's get to them. Let's get to some calls here. Uh, Michael in Ohio. Uh, good to have you on, Michael.
0: Hey, Buck. Uh, great show, good topic. I don't, uh, if I've learned one thing in my experience, it's not to engage at this point in the gun control debate. It seems to be a zero-sum game. Um, I'm, a, I'm a police chief in a small town in rural Ohio. Uh, we have an authorized strength of 19 officers. We have a vocational school, a small high school, a middle school, and a couple of elementary schools. And in my authorized strength of 19, I have three that are school resource officers. And all of my school resource officers are also ALICE instructors. And, and ALICE is just a, an acronym for a way to train people how to react in, in violent situations or school shootings. And no, we're not going to prevent that. One of the important things that we're doing, and it's something I picked up from another police chief in another jurisdiction out west, um, you know, we have patrol cars and we have patrol rifles, AR15s in the cars. and those are great, but when I have a school resource officer actually inside the school and we have an incident, I don't want him to have to leave the building to go get a long gun, and I certainly don't want him carrying him around during the school hours. so one of the things that we're moving toward is getting our long guns in the schools in a secured environment so that he can access that firearm if needed. And the bottom line is, you know, the only thing we can do in these school shootings is mitigate, and so we've got to have a prepared response. I've got 27 years in law enforcement, 14 years on a SWAT team. I'm by no means uh, an expert on the topic, but if it's important to the community, a local community, and it's important to law enforcement, we've got to have a prepared response.
7: I agree. And look, by the way, you are an expert of the topic. Though I appreciate I appreciate your humility, sir. Um, and uh, look, I, I think that uh, reasonable steps, you're talking about resource officers, trying to quicken response, uh, speed up response times, all that. That's I'm on board for all that. Uh, that makes sense to me. And that's, but as you said, we're really talking about threat mitigation, not threat elimination. Um, Michael, thank you very much for your call and for uh, lending some decades of experience on the job to this discussion. Appreciate it, sir. Um, We will uh, come back right after this break. We'll get into some more of your calls and uh, we'll continue just diving into this issue together. Let's see where we can go from here. Let's see if we can come up with some ideas or some way forward. We'll be back.
6: Other shows just talk at you. In the Freedom Hut, we have a mission. We We fight for the truth in a team effort. And Buck is back with our next play. Uh,
8: Once again, gun control comes up. Once again, mental illness. We're not going to stop mental illness. We're not going to get rid of the second amendment, but we can harden a target. I think you need to make school security a specialty. You need to make it a specialty just like terrorism. You need to have young officers that are motivated in the beginning of their career that are sharp and actually are really dedicated to the long range of being in this type of profession in school security because our youth are some of the most important people in the country, and yet it seems that we secure them the least.
7: Go Fox News, making the case for additional security in schools. Like I've been telling you, about uh, 120,000 or so public schools in the country, elementary and high school. So you know, you're know you talking about a pretty sizable force if you're going to put an officer in every school. I'm not saying that doesn't mean don't do it, but it's just uh, it would be a real endeavor. And we'd have to sign on for that as, as a country. So maybe that's where we're heading. I, I think it's feeling more possible now than it ever has before. And there certainly are armed officers. There was one in this Broward County school, but there's just not... Not in every school, and remember, we're not trying to stop hundreds and hundreds of mass shootings in schools all over the country a year. We're trying to stop a handful. Out of the 120,000 schools, you want officers to be in the right place at the right time, so to speak, for five, maybe 10 of the 120,000 schools. So it's it's a complicated problem set, but that doesn't mean... That you know, we we're going to throw our hands up in the air and do nothing. Um, we'll see. All right, lines lit. Let's get to it. Um, we have. Uh, Larry in Johnsville, Ohio. Hey, Larry.
5: Hi, Buck. Enjoy your show. Oh, Larry, good to hear from you, uh, my friend. Thank you. I'd I'd like to just make a couple suggestions. I don't have all the answers by a long ways, but I think the school. I think it's time schools make a. a a more proactive defense against these type of violences. If the schools don't have outside cameras, especially at the entrances, I think they should. They talk about locked doors. Uh, Two shots from an AK-15 will knock out the lock, so that's not going to do anything. I think a teacher's should be able to have in their desk a uh, taser. It's a non-lethal. Um, yeah, I'm familiar
7: with tasers, sure.
5: Some line of defense. And also, I worked in the bank for 20 years. Every teller had a hold-up hold alarm. I side a hold-up alarm direct to the police department. Why couldn't they put a uh, police alarm at every desk and I hear now on uh, these home security things, you don't know, have to run a bunch of wires and all that. Uh, yeah,
7: yeah, well, they have something was... similar, Larry, even on, on college campuses. And, Larry, good to hear from you again. Thank you for calling in. On college campuses, they have something called uh, blue light phones, which you go, just go directly to the police department. Um, and that's one way that they've dealt with they, they do it primarily as a means of, uh, well, muggings and other uh, they're concerned with other things. But it's primarily about sexual assault. Those are the concerns that led uh, them to put. In, they call them blue light phones. I know we had them at my college. I've seen them on other. I think I saw them when I was out at Stanford a while back. Um, and as to, but the thing about the quick response or the response times, you know, everyone's got a phone on them now. You can call the police. Everyone can get in touch with the police instant. You know, well, within seconds at least. Um, it, uh, there's some news that broke. I I would note, while I was on air here. Uh, one thing was that it appears a neighbor of the shooter, Nicholas Cruz. A neighbor saw him doing target practice, so that's come out. And also, he it took them an. This producer Mike is this right? He took him an hour to find him. I think it took an hour for them to find Nicholas Cruz after the shooting. And he got a mile away from the uh, mile away from the scene of the uh, the shooting. And uh, what I said yesterday about how they pulled him and didn't look like he had any tactical gear or anything. Yeah, he was trying to blend in with the students. He was trying to get away. He thought he he, he came pretty close to it. We almost had a manhunt situation on our hands instead of just an arrest at the scene. Uh, an officer managed to put together the description, and they they got him, but he was close to getting away. Um, Jim in Owensboro, Kentucky. Hey, Jim.
2: How you doing, Buck? I'm good. Um, before I get onto the mental health thing, the problem we we don't need more gun control. We need to enforce the laws and regulations we already have more stringently. There's so many places that they're not even enforcing the laws that we have. And then um, on the mental health side, our problem as a nation is we diagnose and medicate. We don't diagnose and treat. And... Something needs to you know, we're behind the eight ball globally compared to other countries as far as the mental health issue goes. And a lot of that is due to, you know, big pharmacy. They want that money from the medicine. And that's not doing anything. And a lot of times, I know from my own experience with an ex-wife that had bipolar, um, she had PTSD from something that happened to her at a young age, and uh, depression issues. They didn't do anything to treat those. All they did was medicate. Kept throwing medicine at her, and a lot of times the medicine caused bigger problems than the problems she already had. Well, then you go throwing somebody that has anger problems or some issues like that. You just you just adding fuel to the fire. You're not helping it. You know, there's got to be some sort of way that that works. You know that. Well, I will say, that, Jim. You know, I'll
7: say this. I think there's been a a much greater uh, understanding that, or, or we're getting closer to a much better understanding in society of mental health as something that should not that, that should not be stigmatized and that actually for a lot of people there's a there is a genetic component to it and it is overwhelmingly treatable and people should seek treatment and because of the respect and esteem with which the american people uh, rightly hold their their veterans and because of a lot of the uh, the the better understanding of PTSD now for returning veterans i think that's been very helpful in destigmatizing mental illness overall as a category people realizing that this is not something that comes with shame this is something that just must be dealt with and uh, right. constructively and, and helpfully it. so it's better now yeah. i mean if you look back you know look for a lot of um, you know I, My my grandfather was a World War II veteran uh, on an aircraft carrier in the Pacific. You know, for a lot of those guys, that generation, they just came back and were kind of quiet about it. A lot of them tried to self-medicate with alcohol. By the way, alcoholism and mental health issues go together much more than most people realize. Um, There's a reason why some people tend to, especially in the early stages, want to drink so frequently because they're often dealing with either depression or anxiety and the alcohol, because of the way it, it affects the central nervous system, suppresses some of the symptoms of the mental illness, and so it actually feels like you're making it better by drinking at first. But then you get into oh yes, you know, yeah. See, I mean,
2: that, that's it. the 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 the, the, psychi- or the mental health issue is they're not teaching them coping skills; they're just masking it with medication.
7: Yeah, well, there is a lot of there's a lot of overmedication, Jim, and and a part of the problem is that the mental health. And thank you, Jim, for calling in. I appreciate hearing from you. Uh, the mental health infrastructure in this country is not nearly as uh, developed as the, uh, I guess you call it traditional or physical health. I mean, I, I don't even know how you say, you know, the general medicine uh, outside of psychiatry. You know, it's not nearly, uh, or it's much bigger. There's a lot more out there than there is for the uh, on the mental health side of it. And there's still a lot of stigma, and people are are trying to, I think educate the public more about that, but, um, uh, it's, look, it's complicated. That's nah, putting it mildly. Lou in, actually, wait, hold on a second. I want to take out, uh, let me, let me go to well, Lou. will come to you in a second. Aaron in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Aaron, thank you for calling. Shields. tie buddy. Shields. Hi, Aaron. Um,
3: I love your show, but it's, it's great. Thank um, you. just wanted to say that real quick. I've been pulling for you for a long time to get your syndication and everything. I knew it was going to happen eventually, but, um, it just people are pulling for you and uh you do it. job well done man.
7: I appreciate um, that very much. Thank you.
3: The um what I wanted to say was we have um sky marshals, right? Um why can't we have school marshals? And I think at some point we're going to have to the schools, um the counties, the states, we're going to have to shoulder the responsibilities. But I think if you have like a a school marshal if you will, plain clothes officer um he would have a advantage over the school resource officer. I, I heard the the policeman earlier and um, we have resource officers too here, but I like, I just feel like the, the marshal would, you know, give the advantage to where, you know, he wouldn't be able to be seen. He could actually have a weapon on hand um, and have like, you know, a, a locker or, you know, some apparatus where only he could have, access and things like that and then obviously i think that would help with the response times and whatnot and um you know I, I i think that's something that's plausible
7: yeah no i i think Aaron, that's that's where I'll, most of the most of the conservatives i know who think that there is any role for the the government to play in in trying to further secure our schools uh, believe that arming uh, more officers and And I also personally, I favor actually concealed carry on the campus for administrators because I think that introducing a degree of and which I think you're getting to with the air marshals, introducing a degree of unpredictability here means that, you know, for example, this shooter in Florida, he attended this school. He probably knew there was only one guy with a gun on the whole campus and probably knew where that guy was sitting in an office most of the time. Right. If he wasn't doing a foot patrol somewhere. So as long as he wasn't. And by the way, if he shows up with an AR and actually has some ability, uh, some proficiency with that weapon, I mean, he's going to have, you know, a guy probably is carrying, you know, a nine millimeter of some kind outgunned as well, which is a problem, right? We assume, well, the good guy with the gun is going to be able to, well, not necessarily. Um, But if the shooter doesn't know who may be armed, that then I think can change the calculation to some degree. Maybe. Again, we're talking about hypotheticals and, and percentages, and this is... None of this is cure-all. None of this is uh, going to make it all go away, right? But I, I think you know your your point about air marshals, but they'd be school marshals, essentially. I think that's, that's valid, and that may be where we go now. Um, so, Aaron, thank you for the kind words about the show, and, and thank you for your uh, constructive suggestion about what we can do here. Uh, Chris in Galleon, Ohio. Hey, Chris.
9: Uh, yes, sir, Mr. Sexton. We love your program, and uh, my wife and I, We've been married 47 years, and I was a Vietnam veteran. And well, thank you, retired.
7: congrats, and thank you for your service.
9: Yes, sir, and I retired as an officer at the Marion Prison. And so, and I am a hunter, uh, and so I will, I'll go back, Buck, to I was out hunting rabbits today and the weapons that, you know, our ancestors used. The primary purpose of a weapon is from our ancestry was to bring food home. Now, what do they have now? We've got a lot of broken homes. I grew up with all my brothers and all my friends. Nobody ever disrespected a weapon. But guess what? <clears throat> we learned with a BB gun. We all learned to respect the BB gun first. Now, my th- uh, thing is the knowledge. We've got to, you know, you got to go to the root of the problem. Most of these young men, of course, and girls, they don't know anything about a BB gun. They were the broken homes. They grow up without a dad to take them out and learn. So my, I say, the hunter safety course would be it like you have gym class. It's a mandatory. Why not in the school systems the hunter safety course so that all children, maybe in middle school, uh, 7th uh, or 8th grade. You
7: just you just want everyone to have a familiarity with firearms, weaponry, and an un- understanding of both g- gun safety and perhaps also how to respond in an active shooter situation? Is that... Well,
9: this is the respect of a weapon. What? This is part of what you learn the respect as a young person, but with all these broken homes, I've run into it all the time. The prison's full of young men that have no... Why they never were with their dad to learn how to hunt and use that gun for... Yeah, the well,
7: and, and, the, and the weapon becomes a tool of of trying to dominate others and establish a sense of, of their own power, and, you know, this is what you see with gangs all over the country. Chris, thank you very much for your call. we got to run into a break here. Team, thank you for all of your comments and uh, and additions, both on Facebook, email, and and by calling in here. Uh, you know, I think we're I think we're covering a lot of what needs to be covered in terms of this situation, uh, in terms of the story and, and the, d- the discussions. You know, you notice I'm not trying to have arguments or debates well exchanges of ideas is the best way to put it i want to exchange ideas um because i would like to be a part of helping find a way to make these things better or at least make us feel like we're moving in that direction that would be that would be progress too all right we'll be right back stay with me <laughs>
5: They can't change the fact that the president has spelled out a fair and generous framework that will be necessary to earn his signature. These guys can't take yes for an answer. So instead of moving to fulfill their promises and address the DACA issue, they haven't even allowed the debate to begin.
7: So you Mitch McConnell, I want to talk about immigration for a little bit here. We'll, we'll get into it more in the next hour as well as an update on that uh, Israeli, uh, Israeli airstrike in Syria against Iranian targets. There's a part of that that I think I left out of my earlier brief to you. I wanted to get to that. And also immigration in the next hour. We'll be joined by, uh, we'll be joined by Jonathan Gillum, former Navy SEAL, former FBI uh, as well. And he'll talk to us about his, you know, I said, Jonathan, I want you to come on and tell me what you think next steps should be. And we all know I could sit here and and, you know, we could both sit around and talk about all the, you know, the the, the dumb Hollywood actors who are tweeting about how the NRA is a terrorist organization. That's a waste of, you know, we, we get it. That's a waste of our time. What can we do about this? But also immigration is a major policy concern right now. And there's a lot going on there. And I would just note that you had uh, two votes today. Um, one was fifty four forty five. And that was the. The, the what's called the bipartisan immigration bill but how bipartisan can it be if it can't get through the senate right uh, that would have almost 2 million undocumented immigrants who get to stay in the country permanently 25 billion in border security that's it a little more money for border security and an amnesty for 2 million there's a down payment on an amnesty for 11 million or 12 million Then there was the White House-approved plan that would have increased federal deportation powers, cut chain migration, which I'm noticing now is being called family-based migration. Look at that. All of a sudden, it's not called chain migration anymore, folks. It's family-based migration. Oh, oh, because families. And uh, ending the diversity visa lotto, that 39 to 60, that went down. So the two versions of immigration reform that are being discussed the white house version and then the kind of you know democrat light version which is the mccain coons bill uh those both failed in the senate today So i predicted a couple of days ago at least on twitter i think i've said it on the show there will not be an immigration deal Uh, i stand behind that i do not think there will be democrats want to run on it and republicans aren't going to cave on it that's my hope at least um, we're going to talk about that airstrike in Israel, a little more on immigration, talk to Jonathan Gillum, and then get some roll call going here. So i have got a lot coming up in the third hour, team. Please stay right there.
6: You are now entering the Freedom Hot Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Clear. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. But we are not going to get to peace when the situation on the ground continues to escalate with dire risks for the security of the entire region earlier this week iranian-backed militias in southern syria launched a drone into israeli territory it was an egregious and unprompted escalation iran was once again doing what it does risking conflict and testing the will of its neighbors and opponents to resist its aggression, Israel rightly took action to defend itself. The United States will always stand by our ally when confronted with provocations from Iran, Hezbollah, or the Assad regime.
7: There's a U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, talking about that drone incident where you had Iranian militia in southern or yeah in southern Syria that had launched a Version They believe, according to the IDF, Israeli defense forces of a Reaper drone, uh, or or, I'm sorry, a a Sentinel drone, uh, which is a reconnaissance, uh, a reconnaissance drone meant to take. Well, we don't know what they were trying to go for, Um, but they launched this into Israeli airspace. The Israelis shot it down, and then uh, the Israelis responded by launching an airstrike into Syria. Now, that airstrike targeted Iranian installations in Syria, and it was successful, but it also involved the shootdown of an Israeli F-16. So the Israelis did lose a jet in that exchange, which I don't think I had mentioned the last time we talked about this. So I wanted to bring it up again. This is in the early stages, so it won't get, and for obvious reasons, given what's been going on this week, the news cycle is very focused on other things, uh, understandably so. Well, what you see happening right now in Syria is really the setup of what could be a much bigger conflict and a much bigger war. The Iranians are establishing in Syria a base that will allow them to project force all the way to the Mediterranean. Keep in mind, Syria is on the Mediterranean. It has Mediterranean ports. So you you, and you also then have Israel effectively encircled Uh, you have israel with syria and lebanon and gaza and the west bank i mean these are its name you know it's only friendly neighbor being jordan so this is a a very serious concern because if the israelis and this is why we also talked to our friend um, adam credo from the washington free beacon if the israelis feel like they are threatened with too many missiles pointing at them from inside of syria and inside of lebanon You could have another instance, which historically, by the way, there there have been a few of them in the 20th century, uh, at at almost a seemingly regular pattern. It was cyclical, right? The Israelis would have to fight some enemy either after being invaded or preemptively before they could be invaded. Uh, You could be in a situation where the Israelis um, are trying to fight against an Iranian presence in Syria but they here's another part of this that makes it much more complicated they also don't really want the Assad regime to go away because the Assad regime as brutal and horrific as it is is at least somewhat accountable in the sense that you know who call, who you, you know who's making the decisions you know who's in charge if the country devolves into all, our, all out anarchy and civil war and you have jihadists running around with much of the spoils of the military equipment that would be seized from the Assad regime. I mean, If Assad does fall, it's not clear that the situation would be any better for Israel. I think you could argue it would be considerably worse. And there is no way that that happens and the U.S. does not find itself more involved. Uh, I don't think with a massive ground force, but it's clearly something that would be of, of major concern to us. And it does not seem to me like there is much of a serious strategy. And in fact, one of the legacies of the Obama administration here, one of the unfortunate legacies of the Obama administration, is that when we're talking about what's going on in Syria, uh, we are in a situation where other outside players, right, this is a proxy battleground, the Iranians, the Russians, Gulf states are involved, all, all kinds of stuff going on there. The Israelis are launching airstrikes we have been left in a position where we have much less leverage than certainly the Russians or the Iranians and much less of an interest uh, in the outcome, which I understand. But nonetheless, if you're going to try to shape the help shape the destiny of a war-torn region like this, that it's worth remembering was a jihadist terrorist factory for a few years and was sending fighters into Europe and, and into America and inspiring terrorists here. Uh, you know, you, you have to you just have to keep in mind that there's no way we can completely ignore this. Um, and I think that it's somehow getting getting brushed aside. And the likelihood of this being a problem that haunts us once again in the future is is very, very real. Keep in mind, Hezbollah was a monster that was created uh, in Lebanon and it haunts us to the you know, as a result of a civil war in Lebanon and, and haunts us to this day. So what's going on in Syria is not going away anytime soon, and I just think that this is something we need to keep an eye on, and apparently Nikki Haley agrees. All right, we're going to uh, get into a discussion of immigration here in a second, team. Stay, we've got an important vote that just happened today with the Senate, so we'll get into that and more. Stay with me.
10: For whatever reason, you've got a whole lot of Republicans eager and, and, and to propose granting citizenship for 1.8 million people here illegally. Oh, so you don't even like the president's uh, four pillars? I- Listen, that is dramatically to the left of where Barack Obama was. Barack Obama in DACA, which was executive amnesty, it was illegal, it was unconstitutional. DACA covered 690,000 people. Why on earth are Republicans trying to more than double, nearly triple that? Mark my words. If Republican majorities in Congress pass citizenship for millions of people in amnesty... I think it is quite likely we will lose both houses of Congress, and Speaker Nancy well, Pelosi will impeach President think- Trump.
7: then you had Senator Ted Cruz talking about the latest on immigration, and I I disagree with him and I agree with him. Let me give you the the breakdown as I see it. The notion that Trump's offer is to the left of Obama, or even that the the specifics of the immigration offer right now that Trump has endorsed as it pertains to DACA, is to the left of Obama, is I think a, it's not a, it's not a lie, but I think it's a, a misrepresentation of what's really going on here. First of all, the Obama administration was never just DACA. It was DACA and DAPA, as I know Senator Cruz is well aware. It's the deferred action for the parents of arrivals as well. That was stopped in the courts. But keep in mind that the number that the Obama administration was working with to give work permits to, and what is effectively temporary legal status in anticipation of an eventual amnesty was always a few million. Somewhere in the neighborhood of three, three and a half million, depends on the estimates that you see. And also remember that the Obama administration's DACA program was going to be open to challenges, as we've, already, as we've seen recently, from individuals who could qualify for daca but did not apply for it but would challenge that in court if in fact it became in their interest to do so so it was never going to be the 690,000 or whatever that that ended up applying for the program in the long run and the obama administration was hoping to get amnesty via the back door by giving people by giving people work permits drivers licenses legal status and all but name and then just wait for the political winds to finally align, right? That was, or I guess winds don't align, but you know what I mean, for the for the, the the political forces to align. There we go. So I don't think that's particularly fair. But the second point of what Senator Cruz said is very, that's very important for all of us to keep in mind here, this uh, second issue of what would happen. What would happen if, in fact, there was a Trump and Republican signed off on mass amnesty? Uh, how do we then explain to the base? Forget about the base. How do we then look ourselves in the mirror and say, yeah, this whole movement's working out for us just like we thought it would? Now, you could decide, and this you'd be well within your rights to do so, and you know you don't need me to tell you that, but— you know, one could decide that Trump on the economy and his capitalist impulses and just general battling with the media and not hillary What? Not hillary is, in fact, worth enough in and of itself that we don't have to look just at immigration as, as the be-all, end-all issue and maybe we should move past it. I understand that point of view. I think that's a case that can be made. And I think a lot of people would feel that way. But there will be others who say the economy, all of those other things, those are temporary. Those are transient. That's just for now. Immigration and the demographics of this country as it affects elections, because remember, we're talking about legalizing a population that is uh, predominantly from Mexico and Central America. And based on all the polling that we've seen and all the historical data, Votes 70 percent plus Democrat. Some would say more like 90 percent plus. But, you know, it depends on who you ask. But overwhelmingly Democrat voters. That's why the Democrats are so in favor of this. It's very transparent. It's also why I read to you that New York Times op ed from I think it was 2000 or 2001 in which they were very open about how illegal aliens put downward pressure on the wages of American workers, particularly African-American workers who are uh, working for hourly wages and working in not high-skilled uh, high skilled jobs. The thing about not high-skilled jobs is that to get a skilled job, you usually have to start with not skilled, right? So this is the first rungs on the ladder of economic uh, progress and economic ascent. And so to allow for all of the downward pressure from the illegal alien community has been really a— uh, a sellout of much of the Democrat base by the Democrat Party in favor of illegal aliens with the idea that the payoff in the long run would be mass amnesty and then an unbreakable one-party majority. Effectively, the whole country becomes California, a one-party state. The Democrat Party runs the whole thing. And I think that 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 is where we are heading. Uh, if we don't get a handle on immigration relatively soon. Trump's offer, and I I feel very strongly about this, I could be wrong and we'll see. The good thing about my prediction on this is that we will get a sense as to whether or not I am correct quite soon. I think that Trump is exposing that the other side here is completely unserious about negotiating. They not only want amnesty, they want full-scale amnesty, and they do not want to stop the inflow of illegal aliens. And I would note that includes visa overstays. That's why they don't want additional interior enforcement and resources for that. That's why they don't want E-Verify, because it turns off the magnet for illegals to stay in the country and work here. They don't want a wall because that would limit the ability of illegal aliens to cross over the border. Those are all changes that would affect the long term immigration of this country, and and also then on the legal immigration side, getting rid of chain migration. Look, the Democrat Party used to promise the American people that it wasn't going to import uh, poor, non-English speaking people from the developing world into the United States in 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 vast quantities, millions and millions of people. That was Teddy Kennedy. That's that was explicit in Teddy Kennedy's Immigration Act, and. Here we are now where Democrats are explicit in the other direction, which is that they actually favor uh, as much immigration from the developing world as possible from from countries where English is not the first language. And for all the idiot leftists who will yell at you when you say this, just just point out things like, you know, oh, the 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 language of Nigeria, for example, which has one hundred and forty million people. So it's demographically very important at a global level is English. So to, so to say that we have a preference for English-speaking nations is not racist. To say that we have a preference for people who can come to the country, speak the language, and are immediately additive to the economy is not racist. It's just common sense. And we all recognize this. Or not, not everyone, but you and I do. Much of the country has been brainwashed on this. Much of the country is so dedicated to the idea of a global multiculturalism that they are abandoning the unifying American culture of this country in favor of unrestricted illegal immigration or semi-restricted, I guess you could say. Yes, I know there are immigration procedures and policies in place. We do deport people and all that. But overall, it, it, it's, a, it's a losing battle because you just have more and more illegal immigration as each year passes. Right? So, yes, we're making efforts to try and plug holes in the dam, but there are more holes in the dam all the time, and there is no end to it in sight. We're fighting a losing battle with that. So I think Cruz is right on, and look, he might be using a little rhetorical flourish there about being the left of Obama to make his point. And I I can understand that and and appreciate it. But on the other side of things, I just want to note that, well, the most important thing is that if the amnesty does go through, it's going to be very tough, I think, for us to hold the House and the Senate in the midterms. And if the amnesty goes through without the attendant, completely anathema to the Democrats, border security provisions and changes to legal immigration. Right. This is the the, the McCain Coons bill. Right. McCain always, always helpful to the Democrats at exactly the right moment. I don't know how else to say it. It's just true. Just always there with legislation that the Democrats and The New York Times loves at exactly the right moment. You know, the maverick, the maverick will strike with the legislation when when it is least helpful to the country. And that's just, I think there's a long-standing uh, history. You know, McCain-Feingold was a terrible bill. We could talk about this ad nauseum. But mccain coons essentially says, yeah, we'll, we'll have a little more money for Border Patrol and we're going to have a mass amnesty. That is the end. It's the end of the Republicans in the midterms and it's the end of the Republican Party over the long term because if we don't establish these border security measures now, if we don't get this... Uh, up and running before the Democrats have another, because they will, another time when they're in charge of the legislative branch and maybe they have all branches of government unified like they did the first two years of Obama. Well, that's going to be it, folks, because then they can get an amnesty through. And at that point, what do we really think the chances are of Republicans winning another national level election? Right. I mean, we're doing the Republican Party is doing well right now in large part because, of the federalist system we have where states, I'm not going to explain the federal system in 60 seconds here. You get it, right? States, senators versus the House, the population, uh, the the massive gravity centers of population that are on the coasts and basically Chicago uh, that are Democrat strongholds are very, very potent at the presidential level um, and not quite as much in the Senate and certainly in the House it's more mixed. But uh, that's... That's not going to be the way that it goes forward. Right. At some point, there'll just be too many Democrats. <laughs> so we're not going to be winning any more elections. And if we have a mass amnesty, I think that's where we will that's where we will be. So uh, I wish I had better. Better vibes about that one. I think that that's going to a well, no, actually, here, here's I've got good news for you on this. I don't think there's going to be any deal. Nothing's going to get through. Democrats are playing for keeps on this one. And that's that's unsettling. But at least I think in the meantime, it is unless Republicans completely sell out and go with this McCain Feingold, I mean, uh, Mc, McCain Feingold, McCain Coons, which I think Trump will Trump will veto. So it won't go through. Uh, but unless unless they do that, there's not going to be a deal because the Democrats know that if they agree to if they agree to an end to chain migration, that alone or a wall and their base will will turn on them. All right, we're going to uh, be joined by uh, Jonathan Gillum here in just a second. I wanted to bring him in, you know, later on here in the show. I, I meant to get to. He, he takes the perspective that there are some things that we can do, things that can be done that would be helpful in going forward at the with the government. I mean, not us as individuals, as people, as a as as a society. But he thinks that there are some things that could be done that would uh, lessen or stop casualties in these horrific events. So I, w- I wanted to bring in somebody who has that perspective and also has the background of being former FBI and a former Navy SEAL. So I think that you uh, will want to hear what Jonathan has to say. I know a lot of you are proponents of arming security guards at schools. Uh, we'll talk to Jonathan about that. And also, if you've got any thoughts, please do share them, Facebook.com slash Buck or OfficialTeamBuck at gmail.com. Uh, team, quick break here. We'll be right back. So we've been talking about this tragedy as a country now for over 24 hours. And here on the show, we've certainly established uh, much of the, the timeline, the facts of the event. We've gotten into the political back and forth, which I always find uh, pretty disconcerting in and of itself, the way that, that goes. But let's let's talk a bit about solutions or at least ways to mitigate the threat. You cannot eliminate it, but you can Mitigated. What's realistic? What's worth actually trying? We've got Jonathan Gillum with us now. He's a former Navy SEAL, Federal Air Marshal, and DHS advisor, as well as a special agent with the FBI. Uh, Jonathan, thanks for making the time for us.
8: You got it, Buck. Always uh, happy to be on your show.
7: So uh, please do tell me what you think here of all the proposals swirling around. What would actually be constructive so that we could at least limit if not eliminate but i think that's probably a bridge too far but limit casualties in a shooter event like this
8: well i'll tell you something you know i so i don't want to go around just plugging this book every time there's a terrorist attack but i wrote this book specifically for this type of an issue uh it's called sheep no more the art of awareness and attack survival and um sean hannity wrote the forward for it and we felt it was important to let people realize that you don't have to look for an expert or pay an expert to come in and evaluate your facility, just like I used to do when I was a security contractor with DHS back in 2004. With other SEALs, we'd go around doing these threat assessments uh, for the government, but you don't need me. You, you, people know their facilities better than an attacker, so they have to learn to look at their facilities from the attacker's point of view. And in the case of the schools and the school shootings, there's a couple of things that, that uh, could be done. The uh, school uh, uh, faculty, the parents, law enforcement, and the fire marshals, for instance, should come together and sit down and do a threat assessment of the school. You can determine, uh, this is, there'd be between five and maybe eight types of attacks that can happen in a school. You can determine wh- what those attacks are, the types of people that might do it and the avenues of approach that they would take. And there's certain vulnerabilities that they could exploit as well. So you can discover all that. Once you have that buck, you basically have the same target package that they're going to have to use on you. So you can do things like sit down with the fire marshal and determine um, how many exits need to be open and how many can be locked from the outside so people can't enter. And at that point, you have now funneled the bad people into an area where they have to go, and that's where you put your eyes. And uh, I've been suggesting, as has a lot of uh, former law enforcement and military, that the president puts a call out to uh, former law enforcement, military veterans that worked with weapons, and uh, local law enforcement gets together with them, puts them through a little bit of a qualification just to make sure they can shoot, and then, and that they're not, you know, crazy, and then you. Uh, They stand opposed for 10 to 20 hours a month voluntary, and there's literally – Buck, there's literally millions of former law enforcement and military veterans that would love to do this. Um, You could give them a tax incentive if you needed to. You could give them a a 50-state concealed carry license. Um, Give them some incentive to come up there. And they will stand that post. And so what you've done now, and this isn't the only way to fix it, but what I've done is effectively in just a few minutes, I've talked about how you can effectively funnel the bad person into one area and then put somebody there that is armed and trained to interact with that person. And you will never have another person enter the building and kill children. Now, unfortunately, we get bogged down. And whether or not we should limit the amount of guns that people should have or the type of guns that people should have, which will do nothing to secure uh, these children in these schools or people in the hospitals. It will do nothing. And I think that is the problem that we're facing right at this moment is every time we get to this point, when we have the opportunity to make realistic and inexpensive uh, tactics for schools and all these facilities to carry out. We end up going into the Chelsea Handler or the, you know, the uh, uh, Adam Schiff type of mentality. And um, all they talk about is taking away guns and blaming the NRA and the Republicans.
7: Speaking of Jonathan Gillum, he's a former Navy SEAL and special agent with the FBI, also the author of Sheep No More. Uh, And uh, Jonathan, do you see anything? Now, I know that the timeline just come out today. We've gotten much more official information from police and law enforcement down in Florida do you see anything that was a tactical deficiency here? Do you think that there was something that uh, just specific to this incident that was a flaw in the security that they had set up? Or is this just one of those terrible incidents and sometimes lightning is going to strike? I mean, how, how do you gauge how do you gauge how this went down from a tactical point of view?
8: Well, from a tactical point of view, it was a success for the shooter, a failure for the uh, defensive player. Um uh operators you know they have because they had armed personnel
7: on they had armed personnel on the in the facility yeah
8: an armed person is what they had not armed personnel they had one one person um, to my knowledge they hadn't done a, a, a survey where they decide what doors are locked and what aren't so they can funnel a bad guy into one position um the school did not um work with law enforcement about this troubled child which you talk to the students. Everybody knew the guy was troubled, um, but yet nothing was done. There was no type of surveillance done on. It's not illegal to surveil somebody who might have a problem and might want to shoot up a school. I mean, and I think also the FBI dropped the ball again. Um, complacency, Buck. As you know, you've had enough experience in these fields. Complacency is the number one cancer that law enforcement. And facility managers has to battle on a daily basis. If you're complacent and you just think it's never going to happen here, you're going to be the one that gets it. And I think, you know, in this school and we have to look at this as I'm not sitting here blaming people. I'm blaming the entire country because we we have allowed ourselves through past administrations and political policies to sit back and say the cops will take care of it and we do nothing. And so if I look at this school, I guarantee you it'd be the same in any school across the country. Where they failed was to do things from the point that the shooting started backwards. They never did anything to prevent that person from getting into the school properly. They didn't do enough. And so we have a shooting. Now, the response that law enforcement had afterwards, I mean, I I don't really have any criticism. I haven't really heard anything uh, that they did wrong in their response. It's an active shooter response, and they get there as fast yeah. as they can. I mean, you
7: know, the Pulse nightclub, I had some criticism of how that went down, but that's a conversation oh, for yeah. Yeah, they, they sat outside while people were still bleeding out inside. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that maybe another time. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there for now, Jonathan. Uh, the book, though, Sheep No More on Amazon, correct?
8: That's correct. Amazon, Barnes & Noble.
7: Jonathan Gillum, former Navy SEAL and special agent with the FBI. Jonathan, as always, good to talk to you, my friend, and uh, stay safe. We'll talk to you soon.
8: You got it, Buck. You too,
7: team. We're gonna roll into a break. We come back. We'll get into. Uh, I think we need some roll call. Let's let's do that. We'll be back with that. Well, team, it's uh, the end of the show today, and I gotta tell you, it's been look, it's been quite a 24 hours for the country. As we know, uh, it's been rough. It is uh, a tough day, tough days here. Um, but I gotta tell you, it's always. Uh, reassuring and uh, comforting when I, I get to see all the emails and messages that all of you send. I'm uh, trying to provide useful information and context and maybe even insight into all the stuff that's going on. And, and I get a lot of that, a lot of help from all of you. So thank you for your uh, messages of, uh, of support and advice and encouragement and everything else we've got from you here in uh, the Freedom Hut. So with that, we'll get into... Uh, uh, a roll call. That I'm. I'm really looking forward to having some, having a chance to just hang out with all of you, so to speak. Play it, team Buck. It's time for roll call. All righty. First up, we have uh, Marcella, who writes the following: It appears that both you and Rush Limbaugh have been ghost blocked by Facebook. Sometime this week, you both disappeared from my news feed. There's nothing in my settings that results in having your posts returned to my newsfeed. It seems you have been censored. Well, Marcella, I will have to take a look at that. That certainly seems like uh, a bad thing. So I will check it out. Thank you for raising it. And, you know, anytime I can be in the company of the big guy, Mr. Limbaugh himself, I, uh, I'm i honored. But in this case, I think we both want to make sure we're not ghost blocked. So we'll uh, we'll take a look at that. Uh, next up here, we have uh, Matthew he writes the 18 school shootings this year. Uh, that's a false statistic. And here are some facts. I would rather see an expansion of the faster program that is currently in place in Ohio and Colorado, getting some teachers armed to confront an attacker and with the medical knowledge to save lives, as always, shields high. Uh, well, as you know, we talked about the the number uh, 18 for school shootings this year, and it was uh, not, you know. That was not accurate, as I've discussed, and it is always troubling when in a moment like this you have a group that really is only, you know, that that exists to push an agenda, um, and I forget, it's one of these Bloomberg, these Bloomberg groups came up with that number, anti-gun groups, and they're helping no one by lying and by willfully misrepresenting the scope and gravity of the problem we face. It, it's really... It's really disgraceful what they did. And they have changed the data, by the way, in response to people looking at it and saying, hold on a second. Have there really been 18 school shootings? Um, So, yes, as you know, we discussed that. That is not a correct figure. And I appreciate you, though, also flagging it for my attention. All right. We have uh, Tara up next. She writes, hey, listening to the podcast from Tuesday. You mentioned the 18 okay another the eight. I know I know guys I know it's uh the 18 school shootings was the number that was repeated all across the media you know in, in the in the initial moments of an event like this when you have otherwise seemingly serious news sources that are running with a statistic it can take some hours for real, for people to catch up to it with reality and to actually fact check it and yes I know it was it was, in fact, not. Uh, I appreciate you, Tara, pointing it out again, though. All of you, by the way, anytime I get anything wrong here and you know that I got something wrong, I want to know and I want to correct it because my, my credibility is one of the most important things that I can present to you each day on this show. And while I can't ever promise I'll be uh, perfect in my accuracy, I definitely try to be, and I also never willfully misrepresent anything to any of you. So by all means, don't ever feel like I'm going to you know, it's not like you're correcting my spelling and I'm going to take it personally. Always, always, if I get something wrong, let me know. But the corollary to that is if you tell me I've gotten something wrong and it's not wrong, I will tell you that you are wrong. I just reserve that right. I want to keep that, keep that in mind. Uh, if, you are, if you're going to correct me, just be aware that I will, I will recorrect the correction. But in this case, yes, 18 is not, a, not an accurate figure. Uh, and uh, next up, we get Alan here. Thank you for what was uh, my fourth time on roll call, but please call me Coop. Everyone else does. All right, Coop. Anyway, to the school shooting question, I believe that when we force children to make friends rather than allow them to vent, I see this all the time with my kids, everything is bottled up, and no one's allowed to say anything because it must hurt someone's feelings. There's also the aspect that kids aren't taught the value of human life and that it's all about the individual. The golden rule needs to be on the walls of every hallway and the Bible available in every room. Well, Coop, I think all that would be very helpful. I don't think that we can expect the Department of Education to go along with that anytime soon, but I do think that there's a, uh, a very, there's some very important messages that you're getting at there. And I hope that you found my discussion of all of this on the show today to be worthwhile and to get at some of the important, important issues. Uh, David is up next. Hey, Buck. I recall the government used to send cans of peanut butter and government cheese, etc., with plain labels on them to people on welfare. What was wrong with that program? At least uh, they can't use the money in a casino or buy cigarettes or alcohol. Um, I need to look into this program, the the previous program, David. I don't know much of the history of it, uh, but I would just say that I'm very interested in food stamp reform and food choice as a function of government welfare programs. And clearly that really struck a chord with the audience. You guys want to talk about that and explore that issue more. I find it fascinating because you get the cross section of a lot of different things, right? Uh, you get welfare, government spending, choice, uh, class issues within society. There's a lot that's going on there that's certainly worth our attention. Uh, Andrea writes, oh gosh, uh, Buck, one of my students is friends with one of the victims of the shooting. The girl's name is Maddie, and she's had three surgeries since yesterday. Thank you for your prayers for the people affected. Well, uh, Andrea, we definitely send thoughts and prayers to Maddie. And I do think it's an important point as well. You see some of the the nastiness on social media will say, oh, like thoughts and prayers are... It's expressing empathy. E- even those people who don't believe necessarily that prayer does have the power to affect events in day to day life, which I know a lot of people do believe that, and a lot of you listening do believe that. Uh, but even for those who maybe are uncertain of that, thoughts and prayers is an expression of em- uh, an expression of empathy, right? When you're at a when you're at a, a funeral, for example, and you walk up to the family and say my condolences, no one thinks that that actually is going to improve the situation or make it better. You are expressing Empathy or really sympathy is a better word. You're expressing sympathy for the person and and showing that you care. And that's all you're doing. You're, You're not you're not trying to pretend that somehow it's going to change the outcome of the situation. It's just it's always disconcerting when I see people attacking other people for basic expressions of our shared humanity. Uh, but that's what happens after some of these things. Um, well, you know, I knew I was, I was looking forward to getting into roll call with all you and I. Of course I am, but I, I'm seeing here that we're, uh, most of the messages are about the shooting. So that's what we're going to be talking about for a bit. Uh, this is from Eric Buck. Needless to say, Wednesday's uh, shooting was a horrific event that deeply saddens the nation. That is something that deeply saddens me. I wish I could have called in today, but I'm at work when you're on. That said, I'm tired of constantly going on the defensive. There are clearly two groups, the gun control side and the Second Amendment side. I land on the Second Amendment personally. What I've noticed is after every one of these shootings, there's a lot of anger on both sides, one directed at the gun, the other at the shooter. The gun control side lays out their arguments. Um, Well, this goes into some detail here. This is my two cents. This is my chosen path. What are your thoughts? As always, thanks for all you do and Shields High from Eric. Uh, well, Eric, I hope I've addressed as much of this as I can today and, and you found the discussion to be uh, useful, at least useful context for this. Uh, next up, we got Darby. He writes, man, I turned off your podcast and started your live show right after I sent that message yesterday. That's when I found out about the school shooting in Florida. Um, we all have things to do we would normally do. Uh, definitely cast a shadow over my day. Thank you for the sober accounts and the way you stick to the facts and stay away from the conjecture. Keeping me informed. Shields high, brother. Well, Darby, shields high to you, too, and thank you for the uh, the note.
9: It is, uh, it is much appreciated. You know, it's
7: just been a, long, it's been a long day for the whole country. I don't mean to say it's been a long day for me, for all of us, and all of us that see what's going on. You know, you feel this in a way that uh, is hard to shake, and you, you know, especially when you spend some time looking at the photos, which have been released of the victims, uh, it is difficult. It is difficult for all of us. I I will try to close up shop here, uh, team, on a on a just a note of uh, of hopefulness, uh, which is you know we're we're gonna be all right. We will get through this as a country. Um, we the American people will be all right. And uh, you know, hug your loved ones, tell them you love them, and try to try to rest up. There's a lot of battles ahead. So with that, I am going to uh, sign off for this edition of the Buck Sexton Show. Remember especially these days, shields high.